And I'm Claudia. And we're your girls, the Judgy Crime Girls. Hello and welcome. Hey everybody, it's Wednesday. And that means you've entered the dark corners of criminal currents. True crime cases that involve water in some way. These cases are all unsolved mysteries. And most of them are international. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us. If this is your first time listening to us ever, welcome to two years in the making. (laughs) We've been doing this a hot minute. Thank you for joining us. And thank you especially to our loyal subscribers who also join us on Fridays for our longer episodes with more extended content. Mm They also get 20% off our merch. Thank you cards from yours truly. Mm -hmm. All of our love and appreciation. Patty and Sarah, if they just subscribed, thank you so much for your support. Yeah. Appreciate it so much. Thank you. Yes. I have contemplated working five hours a week at Starbucks just to get a free pound (laughs) every week. Is that what you get every week? You do. I don't know. I can't. We too many Karens with our triple pump of non-dairy. See, I love a challenge. I got you. No. Coffee black? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I want to say I know all the drinks. If you were a listener and I used to work with you at Starbucks... I should post a picture of me in my old Starbucks apron. I still love you. I'm always going to be a barista at heart. (laughs) I found this enamel pin and I wanted to buy it for you. It was a spinner. The spinner said fuck. Like all around the thing, it's this. Yeah. No. So you spin it and it would be like, fuck yeah, or fuck fuck no, or fuck this, or fuck up. Oh, that's cool. It is really cool. One day I'll give it to you. I don't know. I just want to buy you things all the time. It's like with your birthday. I felt like it crept up on me and I'm like, fuck. Oh, don't buy me anything. Fuck. First of all, listen, (laughs) if you buy me things like on a specific day for my birthday, that's crap. Just buy me things. That is true. Buy me things on random days. Yeah, that's true. I just want to give a shout out to my Aunt Jana who just had a birthday. Happy birthday, Jana. We love you. Happy birthday, Jana. She called to ask me if I still have a strawberry on my head. Have you ever seen a baby with a strawberry on their head? Mm-mm. Like Fuck. an actual strawberry? Okay, it's like a red dot sometimes that babies get. Like a birthmark type? Yeah. Yeah, okay. okay. It's called a strawberry? Yeah. Okay. When you look them up on Google, they look very scary. It was on the very, very top of my head in my hair. Oh, my God. My mom always made it sound so cute. And now I know she lied. (laughs) She totally lied to you. Now, this is the most common that I have seen. Not a lot, but in Germany. And it's actually on your face. I haven't seen it on your head. Jana called to tell me that I have a strawberry twin. Freaked out and wanted to know if I still had mine. Oh. And I was like, what? But anyway, yes. Don't go away. Well, I told her, I said, listen, I think it's gone. You just shaved your head like in October. Didn't you see it? I'm like, I don't look at the top of my head. Okay. I can tell you I did not see it because I did look at her head. (laughs) Well, I had to make sure if, you know, your head is not deformed in some way where I would have to tell you, you got to wear a hat. You can't run around like this. Oh, her head, everyone is perfect. That is not true. It looked adorable. 
Did you know that there's always a morgue on a cruise ship? Mm -hmm. And how many people go missing on the cruise ship a year? And less than 1% of them ever get solved. Which, what? (gasps) You know, people falling overboard, (sighs) jumping overboard, getting thrown overboard. And I thought, oh. That's awful. And those ships are so huge nowadays. If I tell the captain, Andrea just fell overboard or whatever, or I think she fell overboard because I can't find her, they won't turn around. They will search the entire ship first. And who (gasps) knows how long that takes. And then kind of like, well, maybe we can turn around. Do they stop? I don't think so. Wow. That's awful. That's so scary. I don't think I could ever go on a ship ever. But, you know, I grew up in a coastal town and uh, we have what you guys would call high tide and low tide. So when there's low tide, you can walk out a mile or so before you reach water because the water recedes so far out. When I was younger, we weren't paying any attention and it was really close for the tide to come back in. And we ran so hard because that tide, when that comes in, it comes in fast. I didn't know, but that's how a lot of people drown, too, when the tide comes in. Mm, So That's scary. Yeah, it just made me appreciate and respect the sea a whole lot more. Mm Mm-hmm. So what you got? Not a cruise ship. (laughs) No, 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 no. Today I'm doing something a little bit different. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't typically talk about children. This Mm -hmm. case is very similar in that respect to Madeline McCann. Mm -hmm. At 9 p.m. on October 16th, 1984, four-year-old Gregory Velleman was found drowned in the Valone River near Docheles in eastern France. The next day, his family received a letter reading, I have taken vengeance but the killer has yet to be identified. Only known as the Crow, the killer now daunted the family and the nation. But I'm going to begin when Gregory was born in the hot summer of 1980 to his father, Jean-Marie Villemin, and his mother, Christine Villemin. They were beaming with pride for their new baby boy, and they had really done so well for themselves. Jean-Marie had recently received a promotion to foreman in his factory, and this, along with his perceived social climbing, earned him the nickname Mr. Big. (laughs) Christine was a successful seamstress, and the pair built a beautiful new house on the outskirts of town to raise their family. On the outside, things appeared to be normal, but things were not quite what they seemed. Jean-Marie had offended someone, but he didn't know who or how. In 1981, he began receiving chilling phone calls and anonymous letters threatening revenge on him. They were mostly sent to his house, but also his work. And it wasn't long before some were also received by his parents as well. They send it to his parents? Yes. Wow. Threats included not only harm to him, but also to little Gregory. And even on one occasion, there was a threat to rape Christine. (gasps) She was paralyzed with fear and didn't want to leave the house. They took these threats very seriously. At one point, every member of the family received a call, including aunts, uncles, and cousins. 
Now, I'm not sure how many people were in the family, but you can see at least 10 people Mm -hmm. sitting here in this family photo. Even though no one could identify the voice, it had to be someone they all knew. Because the anonymous caller they would come to know as the Crow knew the Villamin family intimately. He knew when they were home and where they dined. He also knew their nicknames. He knew about the grandfather who hung himself and that little Gregory called his uncle Bernard Popoff. The police advised the family to record the calls and no one thought to get the telephone company to trace where those calls were being made from. I mean, this is already 1980, right? Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile... Jean-Marie and Christine had a new phone installed in their house, and they gave the number to only a small circle of family and close friends. Mm -hmm. But the calls continued for years. Jean played it cool, even when the caller told him he was going to do something to his house. He told the caller to go ahead. He could even burn it down if he wanted. And you can imagine how frustrated you would be. Mm Mm-hmm. He then received a call telling him not to let his son Gregory spend so much time outside or one day he would find him dead (gasps) down there. Oh, no. Mm -mm. You can threaten me and my house, but man, not my kid. This is why I think living in the country, I think that's scary. I think Mm -hmm. that the more eyeballs around, the better. Right. Yeah, you're definitely a little bit more isolated. Jean, who had been calm and collected this whole time, snapped at the caller Mm -hmm. and threatened to kill him if he ever hurt his son. Then in March of 1983, two years later, Mm -hmm. they received a letter written in chunky block lettering. Villamin family, I will murder you. If you don't comply, I will make good on the threat I made to the boss about him and his little family. It's your choice, life or death. They didn't hear from him again for a year and a half. They completely let their guard down. And you know, a year and a half goes by. I probably would too. Mm -hmm. On October 16th, 1984, the day was just like any other day. Both parents had been at their work. Christine left work at 4.53 p.m. and picked up Gregory, as usual, from the babysitter. And they arrived home at 5.03 p.m. While she was ironing, Gregory was playing happily in the sandbox in their front yard. Mm -hmm. And although it was fall, the day was warm and sunny. It wasn't until around 5.15 that she noticed he was missing. After searching around the yard, she returned to the babysitter's house to ask if she had seen the boy. She reported him missing, and at 5.30 p.m., Gregory's uncle, Michelle Villamin, informed the family that he had just received a phone call. The caller told him that the boy had been taken and thrown into the Valone River. The voice was the same as in the previous calls. A search was set up by the police, and at 9.15 p.m., four hours after his disappearance, Gregory's lifeless body was found in the River Valone at Docheles, five miles from Lepang. He was five miles downriver. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's so far. Maybe fast forward 30 seconds if you don't want to hear. 
a wool hat had been pulled down over his face, and his hands and his feet were bound with rope that also looped around his neck. Investigators noted that he had a calm look on his face when they removed the hat. He showed no signs of trauma. His clothes were intact, and there was no sign of a struggle. Makes me think he knew that person. The next day, the family received an anonymous letter addressed to Jean-Marie. I hope you die of grief, boss. Your money can't give you back your son. Here is my revenge, you stupid bastard. Mm. The media quickly named him the crow. Oh. And that is slang for an anonymous person that writes letters. Okay. Police immediately began looking for the killer. The first thing they looked at was the anonymous phone calls. And there had been two different callers, one male and one female. Oh. Right. Two witnesses came forward with descriptions of a dark-haired man. The police had sketches drawn up, and their suspect looked eerily like Bernard LaRoque, one of Jean-Marie's cousins. Isn't that creepy Mm -hmm. when they do a sketch and then they say, ooh, it looks like someone in your family? Aha! It would just give me chills. Investigators conducted handwriting analysis, which suggested Bernard had a similar signature to the one on the October 17th letter. And although he had an alibi for the majority of the 16th, there was a section of time, about 30 to 45 minutes, that he couldn't account for. Mm -hmm. It was also suspicious that Bernard was known to spend a lot of time with Michelle Villeman, the man who received the anonymous call regarding Gregory's death. Mm. Reporters found it odd how unconcerned he appeared to be with the death of the child. Then Bernard snapped, telling reporters how the Villeman family treated him like an outsider and that they had to pay for what they had done. He slammed his hand down on the table. He was irritated. Then Bernard's 15-year-old sister-in-law, Muriel, denounced him to police, claiming he had picked her up from school that day. Mm -hmm. They had driven to a house in a strange town, and then there he got out of the car, and when he returned to the car, he brought a little boy with him. They drove away, and the next time they stopped, Bernard got out of the car and took the boy with him, and when he returned, the boy was not with him. <gasps> Bernard was arrested, but later she recanted her testimony, claiming that she had been coerced to say that by the police. Mm-hmm. You can imagine the stress that the police sure. are under to yeah. get this solved. She said, said the police yelled at her and threatened to send her to a reformatory. Her reversal and the fact that Bernard still denied having any part in the crime meant police didn't really have any reason to hold him, so Bernard was released from custody on February 4th, 1985. Mm -hmm. They had really little to go on. Experts went back to the anonymous letters. On March 25th, 1985, they identified Gregory's mother, Christine, as the likely author. No. 
Jean-Marie wasn't convinced. In fact, he was so sure that it was his cousin Bernard. Bernard was known to be jealous of him and Christine and their relationship. Christine even said that he had once made sexual advances toward her. Mm. So a little bit about Bernard. In 76, he had married a a woman named Marie, and they had a son born 10 days after Gregory, Mm. who was partially handicapped and needed constant care. Bernard's parents both died when he was young. In fact, he had been brought up by Jean-Marie's parents. So the two cousins had grown up together and lived in the same house. Despite their closeness, Jean-Marie had once refused Barnard's request for a job at the factory where he worked. Okay. And he was head foreman, so he could have gotten him in. Yeah, I did wonder if it was an ex-employee because in one of the letters, he called him boss. Yeah, it seemed like there might be something with money. Mm-hmm. Jean was so certain that Bernard had killed Gregory that he vowed in front of journalists that he would kill him, a promise he kept. On March 29th, 1985, when he shot and killed Bernard as he was leaving for work. Oh my gosh, no. Jean was convicted of murder and sentenced to only five years in prison. With credit for time served while awaiting trial and a partial suspension of the sentence. He was released in December of 87 after only serving two and a half years. That's it. While Jean was in prison, the heat was still on Christine. Not only did the handwriting analysis match her, but there were four witnesses stating that they had seen her in the post office on the day of Gregory's murder. It also didn't help that rope, identical to what was used on his hands and feet, had been found in the basement of the family home. Why would she? Why, though? In July of 1985, Christine was arrested and charged with murdering her son. But she wouldn't give in so easily. Christine was pregnant, and she launched a hunger strike that lasted... 11 days. Oh, Oh, wow. Her incarceration didn't last long. She was freed after an appeals court cited flimsy evidence against her and the absence of any real motive. But the damage was already done. She collapsed and miscarried, losing one of the twins she was carrying. She was cleared of all charges officially February 2nd of 1993. The case went cold, but it got new life in 2000 when DNA testing was conducted on the stamp that was used to send one of the letters. But the results were inconclusive. It was too old and it had been handled too many times. In December of 2008, DNA testing of the rope used to bind Gregory was conducted along with testing of the letters and other evidence. But they weren't able to find anything. Well, not the rope. It was in the water. Yeah. Right? And I don't know that it was in the water even for four for, hours. You're right. It could have been a few hours or one hour. We don't even know. So yeah. Oh. Further DNA testing was conducted in April of 2013 on Gregory's clothes and shoes, and they found nothing. Mm. 
In 2017, with the help of new technology, investigators began to pour over old interviews. The software was designed to flag inconsistencies in statements, and one couple stood out. (gasps) Marcel and Jacqueline Jacob, Gregory's great-uncle and great-aunt. The couple invoked their right to remain silent and were released with no charges. Why would you not say anything? Yeah, that makes you guilty automatically. (sighs) On July 11th, 2017, with the news of everything being opened again, Jean-Michel Lambert, the magistrate in charge of the first investigation, committed suicide. He wrote a farewell letter to the newspaper where he explained that the pressure of the case being reopened had become unbearable and he chose to end his life. That's terrible. This was a hard case. Mm. In June of 2017, Muriel Bull's cousin, Patrick Fave, told police that her family had physically abused her in 1984 to make her recant her testimony (gasps) against Bernard, a claim she denied in her book she wrote in 2018. It's called Breaking the Silence. And in the book, she calls Patrick a liar and maintains not only her innocence, but also Bernard's. She still blames the police for forcing her to blame him. In January of 2020, the Paris Court of Appeals officially canceled part of her testimony, ruling that the way she was questioned without her parents or access to a lawyer was not how they do things, so none of it counted. No one has been convicted of the murder of four-year-old Gregory Villeman, and we may never know who was cruel enough to take the life of an innocent child. A little four-year-old baby. So sad. I'm just surprised they didn't recognize the voice on the phone, really. I mean, how many people did uh, Jean-Marie piss off at work? In these towns, especially in this part of the world, they are very proud families. And the Villemans had kind of created, they called it like an upper class. They had some money and the jobs went to them. Mm-hmm. They felt that Christine had joined the family for money or for a social climbing, okay. and they didn't love that she was around. They felt like as Jean was making more money and they got this brand new house, she was sharing in wealth that didn't really belong to her. Mm-hmm. Well, but they both worked for it. I mean, he worked and she work. She was a very successful seamstress. She was. And she didn't just work at home either. She was a head of a shop. Mm -hmm. And they worked hard for their money. But in those times and in that area, when murder did happen, it was common that it was within families. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of greed. Maybe jealousy. Envy. Yes. Why quiet for a year and a half? I don't know. But yeah, I would have looked to see who was in jail in my family for a year and a half. Can you imagine how pissed Jean must have been Yeah, when they're like, no, your wife did it? It must have been somebody close to the family, whether it was a very close family friend or actual maybe family member. I know what you guys call both grandmas and, you know, I mean, it has to be somebody close. You know, they had knew the routine. When they went home. Where they ate. When he would be playing in that sandbox. Mm -hmm. He's watching. So creepy. So scary. Oh, poor sweet little baby boy. 
That's so sad. And it's sad that Christine was charged. Yeah. And it's too bad that the DNA didn't bring anything up. Yeah, especially on the stamp. I mean, I wouldn't honestly expect anything from the clothing because he's been in the water. But the stamp or the envelope would have thought they would get some DNA off of that. In 2019, Netflix released a documentary about this oh. called Who Killed Little Gregory? You know, definitely watch that. They probably say the names better in French than I do. It is in French and English subtitles. But I thought that this case was very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, here's the thing, though. All those years, the caller called and sent letters what was he demanding? Or was he just threatening? Them? It was threatening. I just don't understand. There were no demands. Mm -mm. I think he probably would have given whatever it was. Mm -hmm. He had really just made somebody mad. Yeah. He really ticked somebody off. There wasn't an amount of money or... Yeah. You know, something that this guy wanted. It was more like, I want to make your life hell. I want to rape your wife. I'm going to tell everyone in your family. I'm just going to watch you. It's terrible. It kind of reminds me of your episode, The Watcher, a little bit. Yeah. What you did. And that was such a good episode. If you guys have not listened to that, The Broadus Family. Somewhere in season three. <laughs> Go back and find it. <laughs> Oh, just the creepiest feeling when you yeah. think somebody's watching you. Yeah, and, and especially when they do reveal personal things about you, then you know for sure. Oh, It's not just somebody calling, I'm watching you, mm -mm. and I want to kill you. I mean, they know very personal things. Yeah, Ugh. creepy. That's... Oh, How you get justice is keeping cases alive and sharing them. So I wanted to share it. Yeah, thank you for sharing. That was good and so sad. You know, when it involves children, it just... It hits different. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Eventually, somebody knows something. Someone knows something. Thank you for listening. If you have ever taken French and you would like to give me some pointers, <laughs> you can run over to judgycrimegirls.com and leave me a voicemail on our website. Say something to me in French. So you have to do some translating for me. Those names, I just kind of, it was rough. <laughs> you did great. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. Stay sassy. Stay judgy. And stay tuned in with the Judgy Crime Girls every Wednesday and hopefully Friday. Hey, too. Okay, love you. Bye. Hi, I'm Andrea. And I'm... Okay, I'm sorry. Let's just start over. <laughs> oh, this is good. I like this. So I'm just get right up in this. And I was like, stop. I'm busy. I'm with my wife. I'm working. I am not French. I never took French. I don't pretend to be French. Yeah. Or I'm like... Did I really say that? I know, because you have no filter, I swear.